Hello, everybody. This is C.B. Bowman Live. You know that. Well, you know, we're not supposed to be on today, but I have a special for you. We are now switching to being on only on Tuesdays. So you know that expression, if you snooze, you lose? You don't want to be snoozing because I have some powerful, inspirational, amazing guests on. You know that all the time. So we're probably going to replay this on Tuesday later in the year in case you missed it because we are moving to Tuesdays. So how you all doing? Hey, I fixed up my hair for you today. Don't you love it? And I've got the glossy lipstick working. I'm telling you, you know, you guys have nothing on me, right? <laughs> so I have a new friend. Her name is Polly, a Patty. <laughs> oh, my God. Jesus. I've been called worse. So. <laughs> Patty Marbury. I actually met her husband first, I think. No, or did I meet you first? You met my husband, Tony, first. I met, you know what? I just realized that both of our husbands have the same name. I think we talked about that. Yeah. Oh, oh my God. Okay. And here's what's funny. Here's the secret. My husband is white. Her husband is black. What? <laughs> both Tonys, right? That's funny. Oh, I love it. Hey, let's get started. Patty Mulberry has a lot to talk to us about. And you know, our focus, our focus this year is on courage. And my gosh, this woman exemplifies the word courage. You know, I want to try to have really powerful, sorry, men, really powerful women on the show because I don't think that we have really shown the world our courage and our talents. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking for those kind of women. And boy, did I find it in Patty. <laughs> so Patty, tell us about yourself. Okay. Well, th that's quite an introduction. I never have thought of myself as really being courageous, but I do appreciate you saying that. Um, I think there's a lot more women um, who have a lot more courage than I do, but uh, and I look up to those kinds of folks. So, um, tell you a little bit about myself. Wait, um, before you do that, I'm going to address what you just said <laughs> because I think this is a thing that we women do, which sure. is we don't acknowledge the courage we have, and and men do this. In the, in the spirit of, I didn't do anything grandiose. But you know, sometimes it takes just courage just getting out of bed. It takes sure. courage. So my definition of courage is to act or to decide not to act. I think that many of us don't realize how courageous we are because we think of it as in terms of generals and, you know, presidents and all of this stuff, but it's not. It's people that make a difference in their lives and people that make a difference in the lives of others. Mm -hmm. And Patty, you are a firm example as a woman who has courage. Thank you. 
I'll remember that the next time I think that I don't. <laughs> I'll remember what you just said. I really liked what you said. And we'll, I know we'll talk more about this in a bit, but mm -hmm. I really like what you just said about um, it takes courage to act. Um, it doesn't, you know, it, and the only time I think about, you know, courage not to act is if you're trying to restrain yourself from, from acting, but um yes. Mm -hmm. So in a, in maybe perhaps a negative way. So I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about that later. Yes. Well, tell us about you. Yes. Um, so I, I am um, a training, I am the training director for finance at UVA, University of Virginia. And I've been there for um, 20 years. And my entire background, um, working career background is, has been in the area of training and development. So from the time I got into my, not necessarily my first job, but my uh, first like career job out of grad school, I sort of fell into the area of training and development and just went on from there. Came to the University of Virginia in, in 2000 um, to work on an implementation of uh, enterprise resource planning system, which is like the administrative system for any business. Um, Oracle is one. Workday is another. We were implementing Oracle at the time. And so I was brought in to, to be a trainer in that environment. Um, you know, I have to say that took courage because I feel like it didn't, it was not an area that I was comfortable with. I was not a technical person. I was not, um, I still am not. <laughs> That's a secret. Um, <laughs> um, and, um, but I, I had to get into an entirely new environment in a new organization with new people in a new town because we had just recently moved to Charlottesville from the DC area. Um, and so that was 20 years ago. And so my career has developed at the University of Virginia since then. Um, and other things in my life um, that I think are helpful to know is that I have two adult children, two adult daughters. Um, my husband, Tony, <laughs> is um, was a military. He was in the military when we first um, got married. We dated after high school, but we went to high school together. Um, so we've known each other for a very, very long time. I won't, I won't give away that. <laughs> we'll give you that if you. <laughs> um, ages. <laughs> <laughs> almost half a century. Um, so um, we got married and then he was in the military. So um, after I graduated from college, we moved around a bit and um, I went to the University of Maryland and um, we moved around a little bit. To We moved to Hawaii, then we moved to Maine, and then we got stationed back in Andrews. And that was when we had our first daughter, Emily. And then three years later, we had our second daughter, Natalie. And so we have two daughters. Um, around the time that they were, uh, Emily was getting ready to enter school, we decided that, and Tony had then by then gotten out of the um, Air Force, but he was in the reserves. We, but we decided to move to Charlottesville. Our family had bought property here many, many years ago. And um, so I was familiar with this area. I'd come here frequently as a child. Um, I lived in Charlottesville when I was a baby uh, for just a brief period of time. But um, our family 
knew this area and we had some property nearby. And so we decided to move here and um, raise our kids here. And so that's where I've been since. And um, they have since now, Emily is in the army. She's a helicopter pilot. So talk about courage. There is some time, I, I think both of my daughters, like CB, I think that they, you should interview them sometime. I um, will. Yeah, <laughs> I know you will. <laughs> um, Emily is, um, um, it, she's a Apache pilot. So she's getting ready to graduate from flight school. And um, she is also getting ready to get married. Um, her fiance, Rebecca, is in the Air Force. And so they both are badass women um, who have tons and tons of courage. Um, and then they're going to be stationed in Washington, um, the Washington State. So um, they're they're moving on in their careers. And um, then my daughter, Natalie, also an extremely courageous person, lives in Utah right now. Um, but she she moved out to Utah with her boyfriend last year, right after they graduated, or soon after they graduated from um, college. She went to Virginia Tech and graduated in 2020. So she had no um, um, graduation because of COVID. Um, but she and her friends went out and hiked the um, Pacific Crest Trail for a couple of months. And then she is a wildlife conservationist. She majored in wildlife conservation. And um, so to talk about both of them and the courage that it takes to do the work that they do, um, Natalie had to work on two different um, projects this past summer with people she didn't know. She had to live by herself in a FEMA trailer um, to do one of her uh, jobs, one of the work projects she was working on. And um, just, you know, I just think that it's amazing what, what, what people are doing. And I'm so proud of them. I know you asked about my background, but I oh, feel- Wait a second. Wait, you yeah. have to throw all that out and we're going to skip. So I- yeah, I, I feel like that's so much a part of who I am. So yeah. I it's really important to share that. I, I am so glad that you did because, I mean, I thought I was going to interview you about your work that you're doing. I, I want to get to that. <laughs> but, but, but I am so tongue-tied about your amazing daughters. <laughs> I'm like, okay, where do I go from here? And rarely do I get stumped because I want to know how you raised such amazing daughters. What, what, what did you feed them? <laughs> I, I think, well, first of all, you mentioned this earlier, my husband's um, black, I'm white, so they're biracial. They went to a school that is um, probably 95% white. Um, and I just think their upbringing, their, um, the environment that they were in took, took some courage. We're talking about courage. It took courage to do that. Um, they learn to be who they are from an early age, you know, that they, um, you know, had to be themselves. Of course, they had the issues that people have in middle school and high school. And, um, and they're, you know, they both had really great groups of friends. And so I think that, you know, from that perspective, they didn't experience what some of some people do in that 
period of time. But I also just think, you know, I, and I give a lot, I, I do think that both my husband and I um, have done, you know, we've, I think my daughters would say that we've been great parents, but I, I also have to give my husband a lot of credit for that, for being an extremely involved parent. Well, we both are, but um, he was their coaches uh, when they were young, going through um, all the different sports that they did. Um, we let them experience all these different uh, experiences, not traveling and things like that. We didn't do a whole lot of that, but everything they wanted to do, we did. Uh, we let them do as far as uh, sports go and music lessons and things like that. So we let them try different things and um, figure out what they liked and what they didn't like. We just were, I think, extremely supportive um, in, in who they were as people. Um, and so I think that's what kind of set them on their path to doing things that are amazing. So I, I, if you don't mind, I mean, we might have to just have you come back to talk about your work because <laughs> I think there are so many people that are parenting and I'm new to parenting, right? I'm only married a year, July 4th. Mm -hmm. And I am the bonus mom for two children and two grandchildren. And I'm like, how did parents do this? Oh my God, this is the scariest thing in the world. Um, let's talk about Natalie first. Okay. How did you feel about her going off to some godforsaken place in the universe and living by herself with, a, how old is she? She is 20, oh gosh, 23 now. She So she was 20, um, 21, 22. When she did this? 21, 21, when she graduated from college. How? I guess she was just turning 22. How do you have the courage as parents to let your child go and live in the wilderness by herself, not knowing anyone? I mean, we put on the news now and everything is so scary. Yeah. Uh, how, what? How do you have the courage to do that? Well, um, she, when she did the hiking, she was with a friend and her boyfriend was with them too. So there were three of them, which made me feel a little bit better. This may be sexist to say, but it made me feel better that there was a guy with them, but not, not so much that he'd be the protector and all that stuff, but that, that he, that, that the perception of other people wouldn't be that, oh, there's these two women by themselves, you know, so it was more about, um, no offense to him. He's a wonderful guy and I'm sure would do everything he could to protect, um, people, but, um, but it wasn't about that so much as it was about the perception of other people Sure, feel better. So, um, um, so the, the hiking in that part, I was very nervous. I mean, and at first, um, she and her friend did this thing called, um, it's called Wolfing. It stands for worldwide organic something farming. It's like um, sustainable farms. And it's, I think of it as like an Airbnb type thing. You go and you work on this farm for free. They don't pay you, but they give you experience and they give you um, room and board. And so they continue to live off the land. Yeah, not so much live off the land, but 
um, help with sustainable farming. So for example, the person that they went to live with was doing a community garden in one area of Colorado and um, a hemp farm in another area of Colorado. And so, um, but you, you get involved in this organization and you get to pick where you want to go and then they get to pick you and that kind of thing. The reason I say it's like Airbnb is that you can give reviews of your, of your like sponsor. Mm -hmm. And if they're terrible, then nobody's going to want to go work for them. Um, if you're terrible, nobody's going to want you to come work for them. So, so I think that in that sense, it's like Airbnb. Um, it's not like staying in an Airbnb. <laughs> so, so they basically lived at this guy's farm. Um, they were allowed to live in his house, but they chose to instead like stay in their tent. <laughs> and um, they worked on this farm for three weeks and you, you enter a contract into a contract with the person and all this stuff. And so, um, so it's legitimate, but that part I was terrified of because she's, you know, state, she, she was, um, went to school at Virginia Tech, two hours away from us. We got to see her enough. She lived in a house with four, three other girls. Um, and um, that, but then when she told us she was going to do that, I was very nervous. Um, my husband and I like Googled the guy that was, that she was going to stay with because we got his name. Um, just, you know, we did all this like research <laughs> on him. Yeah. Um, there were, there were some things of concern, but not of great concern. Um, and, um, so we, I guess, you know, we felt like we had no choice. Um, at, by that time she'd been sort of living on her own in college, but it's still living away from us. And for us to come back and say, no, you can't do this or no, you can't do that. I think would have been, um, not the right thing to do. So, uh, we just kind of let her, let her go, um, with equipped, <laughs> I should say my husband bought her a taser and a stunt gun. <laughs> I love it. Did you lessons before? Yeah, I, I, I put my foot down on the gun itself, but, um, <laughs> but he bought her a taser and a stun gun and taught her to use them. Um, I think she still has them. So I hope she does. Good for him. <laughs> um, so that um, once she was gone there, uh, and and I have more stories about that, but like just being worried, like if she went camping for a period of three days and I couldn't get in touch with her, and I made up in my mind that she was she was gone, she disappeared. Yes. You know, like and help her today with today's news. Yeah. Oh, I know. I contacted the other girl, her friend's mom, um, and she was like, "No, I haven't heard from them either." I contacted her friends. Have you heard from them? You know, I was convinced that they had been kidnapped, and um, yes. And so finally, after three days, she was like, "We were just camping, and I didn't have any cell service." And so, um, so the more I go out, mom. <laughs> so, um. So that, that we just had no choice. I feel like, I mean, we did, they did our best to do to equip them to be safe and, you know, um, and so it, it definitely was not an easy thing, but. Um, so but, incredibly hard. Mm -hmm. You as a parent, you're torn between yes and no, mm -hmm. like never before. Yeah. 
And then after she did that, um, she went out to Park City, Utah to live for a few months and work at Park City Mountain Resort. Um, and then she's working there again this this winter. Um, but dur then during the summer, she did these wildlife internships. Um, and I think by then she had been kind of on her own and doing her own thing that you just you just kind of build up a trust um, that they they're that they're capable and that they you, you know will use good judgment and um you know i can't say that i don't worry every single day and whenever i get a phone call and i see that it's one of my daughters i always hold my breath um to like i is everything okay kind of thing and usually i mean almost always it is but um but it's always a feeling i get my husband says the same thing so wow men go through this too interesting yeah he does i don't know that that all men do but he definitely does <laughs> um and then emily um she went to virginia military institute and um i don't know how much you know about virginia military institute vmi as we call it um or your listeners or viewers um but it's a very harsh environment um and great education. This is a college, a um, military college. But um, why did she decide to go to a military? She got a soccer scholarship. So she she was a goalie, which you know is also a brave thing. And as a mom, it's very hard to be the parent of a goalie. Your yeah. kid is like putting them their bodies in front of a kicking foot, like on a daily basis. And yeah, um, so that's terrifying. Um, but, um, she got a soccer scholarship, um, it's a division one school. So she got an athletic scholarship, um, and she, um, went there and, you know, to me, that was inspiring just to see her kind of go into that environment. Um, and then from there, she went to grad school, got her master's in clinical psychology, and then decided she wanted to join the army. So, um, so it's, it's now, you know, now she's an Apache pilot. <laughs> so, so, uh, she's done a lot of things. I mean, she's 26 years old and already has her master's degree and, um, is well on her. She's a first Lieutenant in the army and just doing amazing things. So. Okay, now, so, and she is part of the LBGTQ uh, mm -hmm. community. Yep. And how did you feel about that? Um, um, you I'm fine. Uh, you you mean like when we first told us or when she first yeah. told us? I mean, did you feel that that took courageousness on her behalf to tell? Oh, absolutely. I, I think, um, <laughs> I'm sure she was worried, but... I don't, I'd have to ask her, I, and I think we have had a conversation before about how she felt about telling us. Um, I don't think she was super worried about telling us because we've always, always been very supportive. I wasn't surprised really, you know, like I, I, um, but I- What do you mean you weren't surprised? <laughs> I just, I just, it's not that I, she, I, as far as I know, she didn't have other relationships with women um, during high school or anything like that. She went to prom with guys, you know, like just, um, um, so it wasn't that so much. It was just, 
I don't know. It's just one of those things that you like think about um, or some parents may, may think about it. And it's just something that you're like, oh, yeah, I, it doesn't really surprise me. I can't really put my finger on it. Mm -hmm. um, she was a tomboy when she was little, but that's not really something that's to me, that's not an indication of something, anything, you know, as far as mm -hmm. that goes. But, um, but I, um, but I, I, so I just wasn't, I can't really explain. I just wasn't really surprised. Mm -hmm. um, but also just not shocked by it. And, and even if I was, I think one of the best pieces of parenting advice I could ever give anybody, and that is that I actually read it in a book, was um, is not to be, not overreact to anything that you're being told. So anything from when they're little to when they're, you know, adult, adult children, adult kids or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. Don't, even if you are surprised, don't let them know it. So like take everything with like, they're not going to tell you things. If every time they tell you something, you act shocked or dismayed or upset or anything. And so you just kind of learn to accept things and, and learn the things that you're going, they're going to say um, and just handle them in a calm way. And, and I think that's the best advice I ever got from a book <laughs> um, was like, don't let you, don't let things your kids tell you shock you um, mm -hmm. or don't let them know that you are surprised by it. So I think that was one thing um, that when she told me, I, I was like, um, uh, she told me first, she didn't tell my husband and I together. Um, and I ask you that. Yeah. And, um, she, and I said, I don't remember exactly what I said. I, I know that our conversation was like, okay, you know, like that doesn't change the way I feel about you. You know, I love you more than anything in the world, you know, like just, um, um, I'm glad you told me, you know, just, I know that our conversation was like that. Um, it was not, um, a tragedy or anything that, you know, like we had to, um, talk to her about, you know, feel like we just, I just, we just wanted to know that she, we were on her team that, mm -hmm. um, and no matter what, so that mm -hmm. was, and that there was nothing wrong with it. Like that's, we are accepting of that. And we've always been, I remember one time my husband was just, we were at the dinner table and he was like, um, and they were little, they were probably in elementary school at this time. But my husband was like something about when you bring a guy home or a girl, you know, like, so I love it. And, and they were young then, you know, so he was always just like making it seem like it's just it, everything, you know, like it doesn't matter. And, and did she leave it up to you to tell your husband or did she tell him? I think she asked me to tell him. Um, <laughs> But it wasn't because she was scared of his reaction. I think she just didn't. She's she's sort of a reserved person. And I think she didn't really want him to to ask too many questions. Yeah. Or yeah. Like she, I think she just felt like a, I, I did it once today already. I you can you can always you can <laughs> <laughs> so, 
um, and she wasn't in a relationship at that time. So it was, it was kind of like, you know, she wasn't. So what do you think prompted her to tell you? Um, I think she wanted to pursue a relationship there. She didn't have anybody in mind. She just wanted to. And I think she wanted, she just didn't want to be secretive about it. So, um, had guts. I love her. Yeah. Oh, I do too. <laughs> <laughs> and you will, you will love meeting her. Hopefully you'll be you'll get to meet her sometime. I would love to interview yeah. her. I mean, yeah. what a story. Yeah. Oh my God. From soccer to um a clinical side to the the uh, Air Force. I'm like, wow. Yeah, Ar Army. She wouldn't let you she won't Oh Army. Yeah, she wouldn't want you to say Air Force, although her uh fiance is Air Force. <laughs> So, so they give each other a hard time about that all the time. So. I can see the football fights. <laughs> That's right. Football game. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm Army too. So, well, my husband's Air Force. So, no, okay. Well, if anything, that was the hardest thing for him to accept was that she was going into the Army. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Um, clearly, you are parents with courage and conviction mm. conviction and um just a true dedication to loving your children and yeah. bringing up two strong women mm -hmm. we so need in this day and age um and i you know um, i appreciate your sharing your secrets with us because there are many out there that say how do we how do we support our children because the choices are scary out there. Mm -hmm. I mean, this young woman who was killed working in the furniture store when, mm -hmm. she was, when she was filling in for a friend, how do you, with all that kind of thing going on, mm -hmm. how do you have the courage to let go of your children and let them fly? Right. It's, you know? it's hard. It's, mm -hmm. it's definitely hard. Um, the good thing is that they... It, and I remember when they were little, I couldn't even imagine. And so I have friends that have little children and they say, how do you even let them go drive? And, and I was like, well, because the good thing is that they, there's a long period of growing <laughs> between the time that you are thinking about that and then it's actually happening. So of course you can't imagine them going off to college when they're still so little and you can't imagine being able to let them go. But by the time you get to that point, they've already been through high school and there's, you know, they spend less and less time at home. They've already, you know, been away on, you know, overnight field trips or camp or whatever. So you get these little, you get practice. You get practice. Being yeah, but you know, I think that, well, maybe because I'm a new parent, the hardest part for me is figuring out when do you say this is right for you come on you know pay attention or if they say uh so i'll give you a really good example i was invited to renaissance weekend and of course you can bring a family members mm -hmm. and i said to my husband we we need to invite your daughter because she's a lawyer mm -hmm. and her reaction was uh, no i usually um go out with my friends and i'm like what what, what are you talking about? And mm -hmm. I had like, yeah. Okay. That's how you see your career progressing. 
that's okay with me. Right. But meantime, you want to say, what the heck? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I tell you that the thing that takes the most courage as a parent is not being a parent of little kids and them going off to kindergarten or even college, but it's when they make big life decisions and you may know that it's not right, but you can't tell them not to, because if it's wrong for them, they have to learn that. And that's the hardest thing. Yeah. So hard. And And I, for me, walking in the door with adult children, Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I agree with you because when when she said no to this, I'm thinking, how mm-hmm. in the world, mm-hmm. how is it yeah. possible to yeah. just flip it off? Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, well, you didn't like I said in a it through the yeah. growing stages, right? You didn't get that practice, like I said. You know, yes. you, you got thrown into it. You know fully expecting, you know, the experience right away. So, so yeah, yeah. I mean, so I think that's that's a book in the making for you. (laughs) It might be, it might be. Yeah. If I just had the time to make it. So So let's talk about, uh, we have a good half an hour left. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about your work. Yes. Um, You walked into, you started to tell us a financial kind of environment role. Yeah. And ended up really making radical change, I want to say, in your organization. Yeah. (laughs) I like that side with it. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Well, I I don't, I'm not trying to, to be super modest about it or underestimate or anything like that, but it wasn't me alone. So let me just describe to you the situation that's happening. Um, So I'm a training director. I'm still a training director. Um, We're implementing a new project now. So 20 years after I started, we're doing the same thing again. So I'm still working in that environment and doing doing that too. Um, But a couple of, of, I want to say two years ago, three years ago, this year to be three years ago, so it was 2019, um, the university started um, an initiative called Inclusive Excellence, um, where, and this is not just the University of Virginia, but it's organizations across the country, and not just higher ed, either other organizations are doing it too. But there's these dimensions of inclusive excellence that, that you we want to work toward. And so when we say inclusive excellence, we're really basically talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so, um, so our, so across the university, there were lots of different people that were doing, um, that were asked to do this for their particular unit and be part of, be like the point of contact on this larger initiative. And I was asked to do that for my, um, for my group, my group at UVA um, in my division, that's finance. And at the time there was more, there were more than 200 people in our division. And um, so I gladly accepted, I was excited about it. Um, You know, a little naive maybe about what I was getting into. Um, And, and certainly um, naive because at that time, this is pre George Floyd, 
um, when we first got into it, it was um, we we looked we looked at climate change climate survey results and things like that. And within our unit, um, the climate was oh yeah, it's fine. Everybody's you know happy. Um, we got really good results from the survey um, across people were to identify uh, themselves and according to their race. And so um, the only thing that was a little bit off was that our black colleagues said that we didn't have um, a mentoring program that was there for them and things like that. And so, so I was like, okay, well, we need a mentoring program <laughs> um, and we need a couple of other things. So, so we had like three different things we were going to work on not, you know, nothing major. Just, and so, um, and for the most part, we're doing a really good job. And so that happened. And then, so that started. And then in 2020, 2020 happened. So, um, so the pandemic happened and then George Floyd happened and that changed everything for us at that time. And so, we decided to expand our group at the beginning. We, it was me and like three other people. Um, but we expanded our group to include about 11 people um, who were really interested in helping us. Um, we immediately began having some discussions around race, um, which had never been done before in our environment. So um, people don't talk about those things, things at work. And so um, it was kind of like, you know, people didn't pay any attention to it. It, it would uh, too often get political. And so we didn't want to talk about politics at work and things like that. And so, um, but we started having these biweekly discussions that were very pointed and honest, open dialogue about race, race and racial issues in um the world, not or you know, in the country, in our workplace, and in, in you know, just our communities. Um, and we we talked about just general topics or topics of interest. Um, and we're now going into so this started in June of 2020. So this year it'll be two years that we've been doing these, and with the exception of a couple times where we only had one a month, like. December, um, because of people were leaving for holidays and things like that. We've done these discussions every other week. And um, they're usually about an hour and a half long. We get anywhere from on the small end, uh, it might be nine people to 50 people on these Zoom calls. Um, and we have regulars, you know, that are there every time. Um, and just have really good conversations about things and it lets people vent and share stories and experiences. It helps a lot of people learn uh, about things that they've never been able to um, or never talked about before in their lives. Um, and uh, so I think it's great for everybody that has been participating. So that's one thing we did. Well, and Patty, in these conversations, are you? I noticed that you mentioned you talk about things in the world. Um, yeah. Are you also talking about things that are going on in the university, in various departments, or is it still out in the world? Um, we talk about some things that are happening at the university. Um, 
but it's usually current event kinds of things. And so we, we would talk about critical race theory and what that really is um, dif different than what people are told that it is um, that we've talked about police brutality. Um, we've talked about um, we've, we've done, we did a entire three month every other week discussion about the book cast, um, which I know when we were preparing for this um, session, one of the things that your assistant asked me um, was what would be a book I would recommend. And that book I would recommend to anybody who is interested in learning about, um, about race in America and um, not just systemic racism, but just experiences and how, what it's has been really like for people throughout the history of our country. Mm -hmm. And so um, I recommend that book highly. I highly recommend that book. Thank um, you. Mm -hmm. Cast by Isabel Wilkerson. Mm -hmm. And um, so we did a three month discussion of that book. We did a discussion about the 1619 podcast. Um, sometimes we have fun discussions. Um, we had a discussion one time about the, the show Lovecraft Country. Um, and um, so it was, it was, uh, they're always, they're often emotional. Um, and, but I've made like really wonderful friends and colleagues um, and gotten to know people throughout these discussions really well. So I've moderated every one of those discussions. Um, and um, it's similar to this, CB. It's like we get on, we don't record them, but we get on um, call and people will share their experiences and um, talk about things for a couple hours. <laughs> so, um, and have you found people have gotten closer together? Mm -hmm. I, I think the people that participate in those um, have gotten closer together. Mm -hmm. So, in fact, like when we came back from the pandemic or when we started going back into the office more, you'd see people that you'd been on these calls with and be like, can, can we hug each other? You know, because, oh. you know, like, you, because we've just developed these really close um, connections with folks. But um, so that's one thing we did. Other things we did as a group um, were we developed a what we call it an inclusive excellence plan, which was putting into place for our division. So this is just within finance at UVA, um, which is again about, it's not 200 people now because we've had some changes in organizational structure, but it's about 150 people. Um, and um, this plan outlines 33 action items that we are putting in place to, um, to promote or to, um, to strategies around diversity and equity inclusion that we're, you know, putting in place over the next three years or we're working toward over the next three years. Um, and so things like things from as simple as putting information, resources and tools on our website to um, doing salary equity studies, um, to increasing our re uh, recruitment and retention of um, black and brown colleagues, um, to all of that, like big things and small things. 
um, you know, here's what I find. Uh, sorry to interrupt you. I find this is really pivotal, pivotal, um, in the fact that when you first asked the group what they felt was missing, there was very little that they felt were, was missing. And now that you've had these, I'm going to call them earnest discussions, you now have 33 action items. Yeah. What do you account for that? Um, um, learning and knowledge um, and be people being more open to sharing. Um, I think initially the question is like, what do you need? Is it, how is everything? Oh, everything's fine. You know, people feeling like, eh, you know, yeah, I'm ignored all the time at meetings, but that's just not a big deal. It's whatever. It's fine. Yeah. Now, saying, you know, it's not right that I'm ignored at meetings. Um, you know, it makes me feel bad. It makes me want to quit. It makes me want to leave and go somewhere where I'm valued. Um, so, you know, I think that's part of it. It's just an awareness. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, it's that old saying that you don't want you, you don't know what you don't know until exactly. you find out what you don't know. Yeah, I almost said that. I almost said, well, they didn't know what they didn't know. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 And 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 things were kept so confidential. There was something I read recently. I'll give you an example. And I can't, I don't know if I read it or my husband told me about it, that there is some new law that says when jobs are posted, they have to post the salary. Mm -hmm. My day. You were considered a rat. You were considered uncouth if you dare to discuss salary. Mm -hmm. And that was the way that they separated different groups. Right? Yeah. Because yeah. did not know that you were making the very low end of the totem pole where others out there were like sky high. Yeah. That if you looked at that low end of the totem pole, you're probably going to see people of color. Yeah. Well, along those same lines, um, I think companies are getting way away from and should get away from um, asking when they're recruiting a new person, asking for their salary requirements, Gosh. because that is another place that's been inequitable for a very long period of time. And so if you ask um, a black person, what their salary requirement is, they probably will will say it's something lower than what a white person would say for the same job. Beyond the and, and, and it's so it's unfair. It's really yeah. an unfair or even to ask what your current salary is so that they can like, you know, try to lowball you for yeah. a particular Absolutely. job. Because you know that the history of the person is going to be in the lowest salary range. Right. You know? And so it's just another one of those things that maybe people don't really think about. But when you start to think about the impact that that has, that having that, you know, low salary, lower than average salary or lower than your white colleague salary. And I'm not saying it always is this case. Of course it's not. But, um, but when historically it is, then... But it, so it's something you don't really think about, but it still impacts the what you're currently going to get. And so that is um, is something I think companies are starting to or at least they were starting to get away 
from doing. Um, another thing is actually posting the salary range on jobs is, yes. is another that, you know, I think is something that companies should do so that people know um, when they're going into Ooh. what the expected salary range is yes. so that they can't lowball you. Yeah, now I'm surprised it's taken that long because government jobs mm -hmm. must yeah. post the salary category. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'll tell you another one uh, that, that's really kind of interesting and sad. I've recently had a couple of private clients who were people of color who had gone in for interviews, mm -hmm. quite a few, mm -hmm. and have accepted a job based upon the interviews and you know the offer and discussion, et cetera, et cetera. When they get the actual offer from HR, mm -hmm. completely different than the discussion. Yeah. And I don't know if this is happening with white people that are out there, but I'm talking about fairly senior people. Mm -hmm who are having this problem. And I'm like, this is interesting as I'm starting mm -hmm. to watch this trend. Mm -hmm. so, it's, so here's where it could be going, is that companies are feeling pressured to bring in people of color so they're willing to give the house. Mm -hmm. But that discussion is not communicated, benefit of the doubt, through HR who sends the standard. Mm -hmm. And then the person of color says, well, I don't know how to respond to this, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, was this sleight of hand? Was it intentional or non-intentional? Should right. I, be, it's that old mindset. Should I just be glad I have an offer, which is higher than the, where I am now? Right. It's this whole psychological um, discourse that's going on. Yeah. Oh, sure. That the people, white people, don't have that discourse in there. I mean, women might. Some women might. Yeah. Um. But so white women might. But I don't think white men have that discourse in their heads. This is scary. Yes. Yeah. Scary. You know, yeah. it's almost like. Um, <laughs> you figure out one way to close the door mm -hmm. on discrimination, equity, and equality, and somehow another door opens. Yeah. And then it just sort of cracks, and then it's, oh, well, that works. Let's just do more of that. Yeah. Well, well I'll tell you what um, is, is happening and is frightening is this whole backlash. So... I was listening to a podcast, um, This American Life, and it's the, the podcast I was listening to is actually what we're going to be talking about at our um, our call, our discussion today, later today. And um, the podcast is called Talking While Black. And basically a story, they're, they're covering two different stories of from 2020 to when George Floyd happened, and there was all that Black Lives Matter and companies and people were posting on Facebook about how they support Black people and all this stuff to 2021 when legislatures are putting in laws that ban books um, that are written by Black authors. 
that if they even mention the fact that they're that that it's about a black person or whatever, then obviously they're talking about critical race theory or so it's not going to be allowed in the school or whatever. So in a period of year, we've gone from one extreme to a now another. And this whole idea of backlash is, is it's, it's almost like whiplash actually. Yes. <laughs> um, and so I think that when we talked about courage, I think that it's going to take a lot of courage for people to keep going. And it's really, really hard to sometimes to keep, to want to keep going. I mean, I turn on the news and it just, and my husband will tell you I'm a news junkie. So I watch news a lot. Um, and I was a government politics major. So I'm really, really in interested in politics. Um, I was going to say very freshly, boy, you're screwed up. I know, I know, I know, I know. It's, it's a sickness. It really is. But, um, but I, and I work as an election official and so I'm really involved in the process and everything, but I, it's, it's infuriating. And so it's, it does take, it's going to take courage, I should say, um, because I haven't given up yet, but to keep going to, know that you're facing this like outrage from from white people you know let's be honest it's white for the most part i mean sure there's some black people that are hopping on that train too but um but this outrage over bringing up anything that might make them feel bad um it's it's insane well how about this first of all two things First, there was the government ruling that came down uh, during Trump during Trump's administration, which mm -hmm. said that you can't do any work as a DEI expert for a government organization. Right. Yeah. Right? Then, too, if you compare what's happening in the schools, this is going to be a wild connection. But children are being bought up that everything they do is perfect. Let's give you an award for this. Let's give you an award for that. Mm -hmm. Now, th there's no there's no leaving behind, you know? Mm -hmm. So the same thing is happening in our world today where, you know, everything that you do has to have an award shingle next to it. Yeah. And so that prevents you from really feeling and seeing what's going on, because you can do no wrong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we're seeing that in this in the whole social justice realm. One of the good things I have seen come out is that we are seeing and understanding more about racial issues worldwide. Mm -hmm. We always thought it was the same here was the same as other places. And a place like Canada, we thought, oh, you're exempt from this. Yeah. But not so much. Right. It right. may not be in the skin color, but it's there. Mm -hmm. And we have to learn as a leading nation how to recognize it and communicate it 
in a more global sense. Definitely. Which is, and especially for organizations that are, are global and universities, mm -hmm. global students, so that they can have an appreciation between what's going on here and what goes on in their country. And I love, if you haven't seen my interview of Ernie and Cheryl, the book, Inclusive Leadership, Global Impact. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Where he talks about the differences in the nations and what's facing what and, and the relationship between them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we're almost out of time. And I, I want to say to you that while you won't accept the badge of courage for what <laughs> you're doing at the university, I'm going to say, and you're not accepting it only because you're giving, um, uh, as the children say, FaceTime to your colleagues. There's always a leader. It may not be the official leader or it may be the official leader. Mm -hmm. There's always somebody that is so heart involved and mind involved that leads to charge so that other people want to support that direction. And that is you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So like your children have accepted their power, I'm <laughs> offering you the mantle to accept your power and your influence. Thank you. My husband tells me that all the time too. He's a big cheerleader. Um, so it's great, it's great to get support from folks around you. Absolutely. You know, and I'm all about supporting uh, women in what they're doing. In fact, I have a group called the Women's Power Pack. And um, I just launched it. And it's amazing. It's for women who, it's for successful women. Mm -hmm. And the rule is the first minute you could talk about personal life, other than that, zip it about personal life and move on to business. Oh, sorry. I broke your rule. <laughs> no, no, you didn't. I encourage you to break the rule. I'm talking about the WPP group. Um, and I designed it that way because I think that we spend a lot of time in the caring about others. Mm-hmm and not enough time caring about us. In your mm -hmm. case, you've done an amazing, amazing job in caring about others. Mm -hmm. And I just wanna support you in caring about you and what you have done. Thank you, so, I really appreciate that. Yeah. So audience, um, you know, I hate to say goodbye. <laughs> audience, colleagues, uh, I'm seeing a lot of foreign language uh, uh, people uh, who are writing in or filming from YouTube. And I hope that this has been of value to you and your country um, to know what needs to be done in organizations and to just do it. So with that, I'm gonna say goodbye to Patty and I'm hoping that you're gonna join me on Tuesday because again, we have a kick-ass guest, and you know that's my favorite phrase, because it's the people that are having the courage to do something, one way or the other. So see you next week. Hey, have a great weekend. Bye now. Patty, thank you so thank much. You. Thank you.